0: Hello and, and welcome uh, to the, the podcast thing uh, this live video feed. I've got mate. I've never been so nervous um, before I shoot. Doing this all remotely, the lovely Rob scannon is actually on the phone. I'm I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch. I'm, I'll talk to you later, Rob. Yeah. But <laughs> but bye, bye, Rob. Thank you. I don't do tech well. I don't. My, the family know when I'm doing tech because they start shouting and swearing an awful lot. Right. So I'm here. And I'm dealing with... I've got a camera that shooting me in HD, which we're gonna rattle up on, on the, the website But I should've got them. my wife to do makeup, the bald spot showing, right? shining off the light. And um, and I've got the iPhone, which is a brand new iPhone that I managed to, to get sorted out the other day, because the other one had a really bad crack, crack screen and everything. And I've got my laptop here to take the questions. So I should really start. There was That was a nervous swallow, a nervous swallow, because it's tech. When I'm around tech, things go wrong, right? Things always go wrong with tech. So, this is where I look down and I stare. I quite hi, how are you doing? I'm, I just explained that I'm really nervous, right? And it's um, yeah, it's kind of crazy times. Everyone's getting done remote. It's uh, I was talking to my daughter Tara today, and she's aiming to get a lot of the this new website that's kind of coming into being Rob's put, set the website up we've got another guy that's kind of working in there to get this damn fangled new mail order system sorted out and it's uh, in this situation where you know, she's dealing with remote and dealing with tech, I'm dealing with Rob's doing tech I'm dealing with Mark Wilkinson, I'm dealing with Steve Vances I've got mixes coming in for Callum, Malcolm and things, so it's, everything's remote, you don't see anybody anymore uh, it's quite strange, It's like I suppose that's how Napoleon felt, felt in San Alina or whatever it is Right, cheers from Italy. Jeff the Queen, watch a chat. Virgil Kane, hi. Chris Tracy, hi. Fish. Robert Monroe. Come on, give me a question. Just shoot, shoot. Right. Una grande voce, thank you very much. Bonjour depuis la France. Yep, I'm here. Ask a question, ask a question. to see a friendly face i was going to wear the grendel mask actually and scare the shit out of you but like you know just come on i might do that another time because there's loads of them yeah the fishing friday thing uh, i decided to do because it was um the old planet rock shows and it kind of became kind of synonymous and it was uh so i thought friday's a a good time to do it i would say doing it before the pubs open because the pubs don't open anymore and uh which i'm kind of glad about in a way so it's um for me anyway so I, I don't have to go down there and, and drink my um, hui, what's it called? Wheek. I think it's the alcohol free kind of stuff that I was drinking on. Regards from Chile, thank you very much Roberto de Grasso. Greats from Finlo Finland, Marco Hymanen. William Brana Paez, hello fish from Chile, hi there. Alan Grovner. shout and swear fixes everything it does. <laughs> no, I do frighten the family when it when it does kick off. I go mental, with that and just tech in general. I, I just, I'm a writer. I'm not, I mean, I see, I watch Steve Ansis dealing with, with stuff in the control room when we're, we're actually writing and recording, right. And he gets a bit irritated with me because I get, even, I get frustrated watching him getting frustrated, and know. Uh, Moira MacArthur, Blair, go, hiya, Moira, how you doing? Siobhan Freeburn, he for wet Belfast, Siobhan. Stuart James, Greetings from Chicago, Agnes. This is great. Worldwide, eh? This is international. Internationale. Brilliant. (laughs) Sven Spieth. Hi, Sven. Yeah. What's that? John Prentice. Go fast now. John Prentice, yeah, Cardiff, the tour. Yeah, it was weird sitting here and, you know, kind of going through the days and going, should have been in Wolverhampton now, should be Cardiff today, Manchester. That was, it was a real blow, you know, especially after doing all, all that rehearsals and uh, and having the band all sorted out and then having to just pull the plug out and walk away. That was pretty bad. Right, here we go. Cause script Special is superb. Thank you much, Richard Pond. What's one of the weirdest things that's ever happened at a meet and greet? God, many, many, many things. Um, oh no! Bukasana, California. Andy Wilkinson, when will your final tour be now? Ah, now there's a good one. Well, I think with the with this whole COVID nineteen thing going on, and and you know touring being white for everybody, it's uh um don't touch your face. Um, it's it's just throwing everything up in the air. Uh, the album was supposed to be in in July. I mean, I, I was you know sitting listening to a mix last night for Walking on Eggshells, and I'm going, this is brilliant. And nobody's going to hear it. And it reminded me actually of the when I when I did the Vigil album, and we had it all recorded by the August of uh, what was it, nineteen eighty nine, and then I had to sit on it, and I had to sit on the whole thing, you know, until the, the following January. And it was it's really frustrating when you know you've got a great album and you just want people to hear it. You just want people to hear it now. and You know, the fact it's not going to be out till September the 25th, God willing, it's going to be out on September the 25th. So it's, um, I've just got to sit here and listen to mixes and I know how great it is (laughs) and you're going to have to wait. But, you know, Garden of Remembrance will be the next kind of tune that comes out at the end of June. And um, like I said, and I posted on Facebook, you know the video for that is it should be with me in about another week and a half, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that one. And Miles Scarran, who's Rob Scarin's brother, he's we've come up with an idea because we can't put a cast together for this party's over, which is the the the, the, the third one, and I want to try and get the three videos onto the Blu-ray. It's uh, because we can't get together and we can't put the cast so we're looking at doing another green screen here and Miles is going to put some animation around it and that's going to be sorted out in the next two weeks but we'll deal with that. We've got many weeks to go yet. Here we go. Uh, that's really fast. Any chance you'll make it to the US once this mess settles down? I have got no idea. The US question is oh, the eternal question that comes up in Facebook and it's really difficult. I mean, um, you know, just to roughly go through what I've always said, the cost of flights, the cost of visas, the cost of insurance, the whole setup regarding the whole federal government thing, regarding everything else, is excessive, right? And on top of that, you know, we, we, there's so many costs. And to get out there, we need to play to a substantial amount of people at every gig. And going by the album sales in America, there are not a substantial enough people to, like, feel like that it'd be easy for you all to get on a flight. But that may change once the new mail order thing goes on. But I would love to tour America and and Canada and South America and 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 go about and play these places. I would love to go out and do a tour of America where I can actually go out and spend do a gig and then spend three days looking about and enjoy myself and see the place, rather than jumping on a nightliner and getting in a bunk and, and waking up in a, another place and and you know, but that's going to require a, a Euro Lottery win. And tonight I didn't even buy a ticket, so we're going to have to wait for a little bit longer. But I mean, US touring, yes, I'd love to do it, but feasibly it's just not in the makings at the moment back to this are you recording something with john mitchell uh yeah we i worked with john on the on on the Vilsuets album he came up and played lead guitar and did some brilliant lead guitar on it and we co wrote the garden of the garden of remembrance song um which is a great it's an, a, an epic ballad it's in, in line where it's in that kind of gentleman's excuse me vibe although not the same subject matter but i mean john and i love john a bits he's a great guy and um yeah something in the future can happen but you know where we don't know um andrew thomas when is the remastered vigil being released um that's another one where it's been kind of hampered i mean I'm actually going to be able to, to, I'll have written, recorded, and maybe even released an album by the time I have the permissions and the contracts all drawn up for from Warner, stroke EMI, stroke Parlophone for the, for the Vigil remaster. Um, it's really, it's been really frustrating, and of course, it's kind of fallen by the wayside. I mean, I wanted to have that album out in October, obviously, to go with it, the, the Vigil kind of the fact that we're playing Vigil live on it's 30th year, um, the 30th anniversary, you know, I wanted to have it on the tour, but I don't know. It's somebody, I I can't go ahead and put everything together until I have a piece of paper that says, yes, you can do it, because that would be um, not clever to go ahead and and do something like that and invest all that energy and time, but it will happen, I just don't know when. October is now going to be very, very close to the Welchmerz album, with it being released in September the 25th, so, it might have to wait. I don't know. It's a decision that I'm going to have to mull over and, and see, what, see what happens. Uh, David Tell, what is your favourite piece of vinyl behind me? I don't know. It's all that, that lot is waiting to be alphabeticised. Um, is that the right word? It's, it was used to be up above me, right? And one of the problems was that Every time I got around to, to, to wanting to like play a piece of vinyl, it was always after I'd had, back then, a couple of bottles of wine. And I had to stand on the couch and then waver about And then I had to get a torch. And then I had to get my glasses on to find out the small print. And then when I got my deck set up, which is across there, I've got a Torrens um, MDK 2 deck. And um, I got that set up with the, the new amps and stuff. The, I've got the, the parasound and the, the heat behind me. And when I got the vinyl operating again, I decided to move it all down. And when I moved it all down for the top shelf, it went in there. And it's it's kind of, it's a bit like a lucky dip in a way. But I mean, favourite vinyl, Sunday, Steely Dan Gaucho is a big favourite. Any of the Joni Mitchell stuff. Um, uh, I still listen to the albums that I used to play when I was a kid. You know, Yes, Fragile and Close to the Edge. Uh, some of the old Floyd and Genesis stuff. Um... I, I, I still like the vinyl. My, my wife plays vinyl a lot as well in this house. So it's um, But, you know, absolute favourite. It's like when somebody asks you in the interviews, what's your ten favourite albums? They change all the time, right? Uh, Robert Hanna, do you think you'll ever do spoken word gigs rather than play music just like what Bruce Dickinson has been doing? Yeah. I think when I eventually settle down and get the time to write the autobiography stroke memoir blah blah blah. of which i think there's going to be a couple um uh because there's so many different aspects to my life and there's so many periods of my life i mean the forestry thing so many stories come out of that lot there's there's, there's obviously the music stories but there's i mean the certain things that i've thought about i went you know and just in them alone there's half a book in certain areas of my life so i think it'll be a run of books and yes to do spoken word is interesting i mean just doing small audiences i mean i think you know when i do call it a day where the full electric band which now to go back to a previous question is looking probably 2023 the 2022 the main bulk of the gigs um you know after that you know once i've once got the book done i mean i'm gonna get itchy feet for the stage i mean i know i'm you know i mean but I mean I d I don't really want to go out with a full electric band at that point and go on a bus in a nightline, and it'll be something a lot more gentlemanly and something more sedate uh, altogether. Um uh, Corbin Jones, met so many Kaylees. What does that feel like for you? It makes me feel old. It's um we did I did a great interview uh for a Dutch TV that came out at New Year. And um it was the first time I ever really spoke about that. I'd, I'd kind of, um, I, I'd, you know, when I actually wrote the song, you know, I, I was determined, and there was a kind of pact between myself and and Kay, who was Kaylee. Uh, that you know, I, I didn't want to bring her into the press, and of course things happened, and Kay sadly died a few years ago, and I, we were in we were in contact. It was all you can find that on the YouTube video. Uh, for the the story. But I mean uh, you know the whole Kay thing, I mean, you know, as a lot of people know, it was Kay uh, her name was k uh, Kaylee L E E and I changed it and became L E I G H. And it's it's been really strange over the years. You, you can determine how old you're getting from the moment where it's like it's like this is a baby, this is Kaylee, it's lovely. A lovely baby Kaylee to like this is a toddler with Kaylee with a Marillion shirt on and da da da. And I think the weirdest one I had was when I was working with the SES band down in, I think it was Portsmouth. And I went out with a couple of friends of mine to a, a bar and they had one of these tills, you know, where you've got the, 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 the name of the, the, the server comes up on the till. And we went up and, and you know, I said, yeah, a couple of pints of beer, da da, da and up we got Kaylee, right? And I'm going, no. And I was actually being served by somebody called Kaylee. And it was, uh, and my mate, it was, it was, I was with uh, Stuart and David, from down there and um they got they said do you know who that is that's the guy that gave you your name so i got my photograph taken because i said to her i says your dad called you kaylee didn't she and she must have thought i was some sort of weirdo how do you know this and you'll see it oh, but but yeah that was yeah i think the fact that you keep on making kaylees and then you see them on the news and you see you know people this happened or da, 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 and you you realize just you know how how many people are out there are called kaylee so that was it's my big credit to fame you know, so when you buy a kid's book and it's got Kaylee, name of his song by the Ben Marillion, right? Another one. Uh, do you have a favourite track for Vigil? John Watson. Uh, I don't know, they change. I think, you know, we're, we're songs and albums, they change. State of Mind was, it still is one, one of our favourites. Gentlemen's, I love listening to and singing it, it's a bit like this you're you very very exposed when you're singing that song but i love the song um funny enough when we did view from a hill in rehearsals and played it in in, uh, in aberdeen i forgot just how much that song rocked out and um it was uh, but i mean as as an album it's, it's, it's a very complete album that i think says, you know there's no weak songs on vigil at all you know and and they kind of cover a range of uh, genres and, and styles and different drama and dynamics, you know, which again is, is very much the same as, as the, the, the Velschmidt's album. Another one. Uh, Maureen Humphrey, Oklahoma, hi man. Gianluca, uh, how will our lives change after this pandemic? I don't know. Whew, serious mode. Um, there's a lot of positives we can take from it. I'm loving the fact that communities are coming together. I love the fact that, you know, we're appreciating our NHS an awful lot more and, and being a lot more respectful to our frontline services. That, and the whole idea of, you know, people understanding exactly what the NHS does for us and Uh, lucky we are in a country to have a service that is free I mean when you see some of the stuff coming out of America and about insurances you know that can that would freak me out if I was in that situation but I think people looking at where they come from a lot more as I say, looking at the communities I think the whole globalization thing where everybody's quite happy to farm out stuff to other countries just as long as they can get somebody who's getting paid less wages and, than getting paid in your country and exploit workers in another country you know to supply stuff you know and then finding out that those supply lines are badly hampered and, and and ripped up by circumstances like we're in i mean that is going to be a question that's going to be raised um i like the idea of the fact that we're starting to notice the fact that there's a lot less pollution around you know watching fish swimming in the canals of venice was I, I was very moved by that and it, interestingly just before I came came on air it was um, there was a thing about from the seismology report and they was saying that the earth is shaking less because we're all indoors and we're not moving about and there's less traffic and less trains and stuff so I think on a big positive note it's going to wake us up to the planet we live on I think um your whole cl- the climate change question. I mean, it's the wrong time to be asking these questions, but I think once we get across the crest of this pandemic, then I think a lot of people will be. There's a lot of things be learned from this, but you know, I could go on about that for ages. But it's wrong place. Back to this. Uh, you like Shadow uh, Richie Day? Nate, you see Shadow playing again, but you never hear it. That song is a nightmare to sing it's an absolute bloody nightmare it's so fast and there are so many words i mean i'm hand up right people are being my gigs you will see a lectern in front of me and yes there is a book of lyrics in there because there are so many lyrics that a man of my age can never actually remember them all right and um and the thing is especially now when you're using like on a song like for example rose of damascus which is 60 minutes long the band are, are, are listening to vocal cues, they're listening to me doing my bit, and I need to listen to them doing their bit, so there's a lot of things that are on click track. There's some things that are, I would say pre-recorded, the trigger, the sounds, there's things that, not, that five people can't play that we have to use on what's called an Eric. It's a, it's called, it's a Roland uh, device that Gavin triggers. Gavin Griffiths, my, my wonderful, fantabulous drummer, he triggers it, he is an octopus. And the thing is that you've got to be on the ball all the time. So the lyrics, you can't just float off and do stuff. You've got to stick to patterns. And like I said, there's so many words that, um, you know, it's difficult. But shadow play, even after an entire tour, right, singing that every night for about 60 shows, I still couldn't remember the lyrics. So my fault. I don't care. Uh, will the setlist be changing, Stephen Brown? I don't think so. I think... We ran that set in, in Aberdeen and it worked. Normally after your first night, when you play a set list, you kind of go, "Oh, that bit kind of changed a bit. There was a thing with Rosie Damascus on the Aberdeen show where everybody kind of went a little bit disjointed, but that was a technical thing rather than an actual performance thing. Because what happened was that a lot of the, the, the sounds that were coming from the Roland machine, the samples, we weren't hearing the samples. So we weren't hearing the strings and a lot of the augmented stuff. And it kind of felt a bit empty on the stage because it wasn't in the wedges, and we kind of oh. But I mean, generally speaking, I think this, the setlist is, is working really, really well. And it but it's, it's going to be strange when the Velschmerz album comes out in September, and people get used to the tracks, then you know, and know what the tracks are, then there may be a rejig. But at the moment, the setlist is on the next tour as was in Aberdeen. So there you go. Ah. Uh, Martin Stewart, I live in the US. The health coverage, brutal, yes. Uh, I watch it. I mean, my wife and I, Swan and I, we tend to watch Netflix and bits and pieces at night. And then about 10.30 at night, I flip into CNN. And, you know, we we get the, the news feed from America, which, you know, sometimes is really shocking. I mean, shocking. I mean, I feel for... New York especially at the moment, but I mean, I know it's translating across into Florida and Michigan and Seattle and you know, it's in LA and it's, it is frightening. I mean, um, again, you know, it's something I can, I could wax about for a long time and as this is the first broadcast and there's a lot more to come every week, so I'll leave that. Uh, Anna Lagnani, I remember Shadow Plays Words Heart. Yeah, listen. There's a lot of songs I can sing when I hear it like when I hear it being sung in the background and I can remember everything. But see when you're up there on a stage and you've just got musicians behind you and it's your voice and your voice alone, it's very different, believe me. Uh, uh Karen Vier Brouwer, do you have a favorite place to perform? I'm asked about favourite gigs and favourite venues, and there's a lot. There's a lot of favourite venues. Some of them because of the venue, some of them because of the crowd that's inherent. It was, uh, like I remember with, with Friars, it was like, I would always go along at Friars to see Friars Club in Aylesbury when I was there in the 90, early 1980s, during script years and stuff, pre-script. And it was, um and I'd go along and, and see bands. And, and with that venue, it didn't matter where it was, it was the crowd that was Friars. It was the assembly hall before that, it was the town hall, but it was the crowd. So there are some venues where the crowds are fantastic. And there are other venues, I mean, I was talking recently. I mean, Belgium is a, a country that I've not managed to get an offer for to play for ages. I love the Ancien Belgique in Belgium. I loved the old uh, the, the the gig in Utrecht, and I love a lot of the Dutch gigs just because of what's there at the Dutch gigs. Probably the the, the, the Dutch venues are probably, and a lot of musicians will tell you they're some of the best in the world for organisation, for what they supply, the backstage area, the sound, da da da. But there's, there's lots of different places. I mean. Um, I think when I come to do my farewell tour, then what I want to do is is do a list of all the venues. And what I would like to do in the farewell tour is rather than just go out and do one night, it's to pick maybe 20 of my favorite show, 20 of my favorite gigs, 25 of my favorite gigs, and do two nights and do two different sets. And so rather than trying to compress everything in a one, two hour show, you can spread it over a four hour kind of thing. So you've got a whole selection of songs from all different eras played across two. but that's when you'll know when my favourite venues are. Next one. Uh, Barry Capper, hello, mate. Uh, <laughs> Peter Fuller, I'm still trying to get over my hangover from drinking in the van at the back of the gig in Stornoway. The boat the next day was a mess. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, Craig Diller, what bands are you listening to at the moment? Um, none. Uh, we've been listening listen to the new Doris Brendel album, which is Fab. And my wife plays that on a regular basis. Nick Drake is a favourite. I've got the new Springsteen album, which I really like, which is kind of very 1970s. It's got a um, Burt Bacharach kind of vibe in it with the strings and things. Sometimes they work, but I really like that. But you, we don't listen to music as much as you'd think we would in this house. I mean, it gets. Simona puts on, on more music than I do. Uh, I tend to be drawn more to series and movies and stuff, but I mean uh, Oh best worst bands you've toured with nah, no good now. Uh da Tamara Modra, groups of Karlsruhe, yo. Uh Steve Boyster, thanks for What's the feed. What's good dinner is Colin? Yes. We're having lamb tonight. Um Greetings for a Jody in Brussels, Nigel Robinson. Um Anthony Jackson, ah, Homeforth won't be a face, it's cursed, laughing out loud. No, the Homeforth thing, it's, it's nothing at all to do with the gig. I love the Homeforth gig. I think it's astounding. It's a it's a fantastic venue. And the fact that you drive all the way through the hills and the valleys and you've come across this really old cinema and I love that. The fact that, you know, it was it used to be that heart and a hub of a community and it still is and in a music sense. I love the venue, love the stage. Really weird design, but it's it's a it's a great stage to play on. And I always like those venues that have got the tiers of audiences, you know, so that you're you're facing like a kinda of wall. And as a front man it's great to play to that. I hate playing at big long fields, don't like that. And I don't like arenas, that don't like arenas, you know. I like I like intimate shows, which is why, as I said before, uh answer to a previous question, if I'm going out in the years to come, you know, if I go out with an acoustic thing or a spoken word thing, you know, that's the kind of venues. I like I like that intimate experience. I mean I still have to say, I mean, the Fishheads Club tour was one of my favourite tours that I ever did just because it was so relaxed and so fun. And it just the, the, that whole sense of communion that, that occurred, you know, at those gigs was amazing. Uh, Octavio Ramirez, remember the concert at Metropolitan Theater in Mexico City. Someone from the audience gave you a bottle of tequila and by the end of the gig it was empty. What a surprise, what a surprise tequila, um, But yeah, I'm saying that, it's, it's actually, um, it's, it was 40 weeks on Thursday since I stopped drinking alcohol. And it wasn't through any kind of prescient danger or anything like that. I actually got to, just after Boxing Day and with the band being in the studio, it was kind of letting I would see Vances around who, who was, wasn't drinking, but having the rest of the guys about, we kind of, the levels went up. And then we moved towards Christmas, and then you went into the Christmas levels. And I got to Boxing Day and I went, there's a Scottish term, right? It means scun-up, right? And scun-up means you're kinda like, I'm sick of this, right? And Simona and I decided that basically, if I was gonna get through the next three months, four months, which involved singing on the album, dealing with the promotion, dealing with the manufacturing. With everything else that surrounded the entire album, and with the tour coming, and with the rehearsals coming, and the voice, etc., etc., I just went. There's no way I can deal with this. Waking up with a hangover every morning, and uh, and we just stopped. And it was. It's been easy. It's been really strange. And this is the longest time that I've ever uh, ever not had a drink of, of alcohol in my life. Right. And we're keeping it going. And funny enough, it was like um, on the the day before the Home Show, when the band were all here, when 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 basically the, the the flag got taken down the mast, and we we called it a day on the tour. The most of the band were, were drinking. I mean, it doesn't bother me having people drink around me and stuff. It's like you know. And as I said before, I mean, at some time, I was going down the pub and drinking this stuff called whisht, which is a wee non-alcohol bevvy, wee beer that I love. And um. But all the band were drinking here, and I actually picked up a glass. uh Somebody had left a glass, and I I thought it was my alcohol-free prosecco, and it was um, it was a Sauvignon Blanc, which you know used to be you know part and parcel of my life months ago, and I, I took a drink of it. And it was awful. It tasted terrible, right? And um, and it, I've I've I'm not missing it, and I you know and I've been through. There's been a couple of moments which, you know, where I've been, what you, a lot of people will, will recognise, like trigger moments. And when something happens, where I would normally go, I want a bottle of wine now. And I, we call them tumbleweed moments now, because what happens is it kind of goes through, it goes, I really fancy a drink now, da-da-da, da da and then it passes, right? And you know a couple of times I've gone, well, what's the point? Because I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to deal with it any better. And I'm loving the clarity of mind, I'm loving uh, um, feeling a lot healthier, and generally I feel better. And as I, with Simone and I, it wasn't as if we kind of said, well, we're going we're to stop until this point. We just went, let's stop. And as I said, at this moment in time, I've got no desire to go back. And to be honest, in the middle of this lockdown and shutdown, I'm just really glad that I'm not having to go out there and stand at Tesco's and go, can I actually have three, rather than just the two? So I'm cool feel good for it, so, anyway. Uh, was the Monkey Pub gig at Leicester your smallest gig? I missed the name because it went up. I can't remember it. I don't think it was. I've, I've done smaller than that. I've done a lot of smaller gigs than that. Uh, Steve Dell, hi, thank you. Um, Guido Bischoff, what was it like playing with Craig Bondell? Brilliant never, he's one of the finest drummers that we've ever had in the studio, beautiful guy, really beautiful guy and an incredibly talented musician. I mean um, he managed to put virtually the, the entire Velt Schmerz album down in about three days and he was easy, he came up with great ideas, he was easy to guide, Callum Malcolm, my producer, loved him, he was just a phenomenal player, absolutely phenomenal and he was um he was perfect perfect for what we needed i mean gavin is still my my, my live drummer and gavin is brilliant and he, he managed to pick up all uh craig's stuff on on the on the, on the in the new set list and, and managed to you know do a, a brilliant job in it but craig was great to work with uh, <clears throat> d faulkner i still love the towel i caught when you threw it to the audience at the hammy Odeon gig in 1987 can I get it back, please? That cost us 20 quid. They do. They charge you for towels. It was, um. you always get, when you, when you get at backstage at a gig, right, it's, uh, and they, they used to, the rep used to count them all in. When you do gigs, they count them back in. One, two, 19, there's one missing. And I, I used to throw them out at the end of gigs. Yeah, you go, sweat from my bonds, right? And after it'd be, you'd get the bill, and the manager, would, he came up to me, he said, we stopped throwing the towels away. It's costing us 20 quid every gig, yeah Buckcca Hannah, yeah um uh, so we're filling him do you ever write poetry for poetry's sake or purely no i don't i don't look at myself as a poet you know i I, I love words, I love sculpting words and but i don't really i don't really they're like kind of um advanced lyrics right? and i think you know I love writing prose. I mean, even when, I, when I'm writing, even when I'm doing Facebook book posts, I'm very aware of kind of using words twice and things like that. Sometimes I screw up. But like, it's not, I don't look at like it as being boring, but I, I love kind of prose. I mean, like, I read like Cormac McCarthy and stuff and I love the way he writes and, you know, where, and, and the little Kerouac stuff. Kerouac, I used to love the Kerouac thing where it's just words and the way they use words. And as I've said in many as an interview, you know, I, I'm not a singer who can write. I'm a writer who can sing, and there's a big difference in that. Uh, how good were the Aryan electric castle gigs for you? Daunting. I loved them. They were it was a great, uh a fantastic vibe. I mean, when I said to, to Aryan that, yeah, I take the, the gig on, I was it was a bit I felt very nervous. As soon as I went, yeah, I'll do it. Because I knew what I was letting myself in for, you know, I was um, and I, d- I did say, like, I can do it as long as there's a teleprompter. <laughs> and there was. It was. And other people were using it as well. And uh, But it was great, there were a fantastic bunch of people. Arian's a lovely guy, really nice guy. And the, the whole, all those, those days at Tilburg were just fantastic. It was, um, you know, every time you came into the gig, you know, before the show, it was, it was just a great atmosphere. And of course I met Marcel Singer. Uh, Signal, the, my guitarist, he was in the, uh, in the band for the, the, the Aryan gigs. And um, it, was, uh, it was it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to do, but I mean, going on and, and, and doing a musical, right? And having it, you know, you get tapped in the back when you've got to go on stage, and this is, you've got to exit stage left or exit stage right, or like da-da-da. And, you know, you're very weird at your position. A couple of times I screwed up when, you, when I was kind of blocking out people and things. So it was, it was a completely different headset to, to, to doing a normal gig, you know? But I really enjoyed it. It was it was a fantastic experience. And uh, I was supposed to be doing the, 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 yeah, I asked me to do the, the gig that they're doing at the, um, um, at the Frailipuna, uh, But I don't know whether that's happening or not. But I, I kind of said, I had to hold off because at the time there was a load of festivals coming in and we, I didn't know whether that date was going to go. But as such, I mean, I don't even know if that's going on now because I mean, I know, I was supposed to be playing in Lisbon uh, and, and doing a show down there, but uh, that got blown out, and we're still waiting to find out what's happening with the July August gigs. But you know, we're in the lap of the gods. I mean, we, we've got no idea, you know, when this is going to open up, which is why we've we've got a situation like this going. On where I'm um, telling you, All Right. Uh, any chance you might play Rambler Man and Maidstone again yeah maybe I don't know it depends if we get offers and things it was a, it was a good gig we played it uh, you can be Morristine <laughs> nice name love the feast yeah 13 star yeah uh, do I just Andrew goate Lockwood do you just write the lyrics or do you have a hand in the music as well I write lyrics but I do do the melody when Steve and I put things together you know it's uh there's loads of bits, I'll suggest bits and, and suggest two bits and pieces. I don't write it, I don't play an instrument, I don't play keyboard. Steve Ans is, you know, the kind of the multi-instrumentalist. I mean, um, I don't understand music, you know, I, but I just feel it, I just feel it. So when I write words and explain to Steve, this is what the story is, and then we find the bits at work, and then we'll try things out, and I'll suggest bits and pieces, but I mean, you know, I'm the lyricist and the main, and the, the, the singer, but I mean, uh, I don't get told what to sing, I, what, what I sing. And Tony Banks has said, you know, well, the thing with fish is he just sings from his heart and just sings what he feels. And that's exactly kind of how I work, which is always difficult when I come to work, if I do work with well, other musicians, when they want specific things. Like Tony Banks wanted me to sing, it was like working with a school teacher. I love Tony to bits, he's brilliant. And, um, but you know, it's that tap tap. No, this one, this, this is where the melody goes. And Callum is great because Callum, you know Callum will, will kind of point me and, and, and make me do little nuances and little things and bits and pieces and bend the vocal into different ways so that you know it becomes more interesting and I think you know over the years I'm I'm more aware of kind of the melody lines mm-hmm. and, and the little tip dibs and dabs that you've got to put in and, and the drops and things just to make things more interesting Uh uh Did I get the box from Ariane? No, I've not I've not seen it yet. I've not seen the thing yet. Arian, send me the damn box, will you? Uh Kath Williams said, what's next? Vegetarianism. Which veggies are you growing this year? Actually, my my stepson Liam, he's a vegetarian. And we're very aware uh, in the house when we're cooking that there's we have to kind of deal with that side. And what's happened is that, you know, we've kind of moved into... I mean, last night we had a, a, a vegetarian lasagna and we've cut our meat down. I mean, I think, again, we're the current situation with with the lockdown, you know, I'm, I'm going down to Tesco's or, or down, down to the supermarket once a week, mask on, gloves on, you know, hooded up and down to Tesco's. So, I mean, we are fine. we're eating less meat. And not only are we eating less meat, but we're also... The potions are smaller because, and that's been pretty good, but I mean in the garden, I mean uh, I've been trying to get out for the last two, three days, but I've been caught up in the whole script thing and, and you know, signing scripts and doing bits, but I mean tomorrow I've got propagators ready in the greenhouse, I'll be managing to get out there for a couple of hours, but I mean we grow everything, beetroot has got to go in tomorrow, I've already got carrots in, I've got, I've got these massive big barrels, whiskey barrels that we cut in half and they were actually used for Jack Daniels, which um, which is quite ironic. So I've got 10 barrels, big barrels that I cut in half. And I reckon those 10 barrels, that was probably about as much Jack Daniels as I drunk in the 1980s, right? So they'd be cut in half, and one, they're great for growing carrots. But then all that stuff I do with on the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden. If you're interested in gardening, go to the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden Facebook page. <coughs> and I'll be doing videos on, that, on what we're doing. But I mean, as far as vegetables grow, if Simone and I really put our minds to it, we could be just about completely, you know, uh self sufficient and, and veg. But I mean I enjoy it and I like the fact I like growing stuff. It's it's a good mental place to go to. It's it's I find it very peaceful and very spiritual. Uh Art Bourdain, loved your music with Stephen Wilson. Yeah. that was great working with Stephen. It was um the Sunsets an Empire album. It was uh it was the first time that, that Stephen had kinda Really, worked for anybody else like me, <laughs> and um, you threw up a lot of ideas. I mean, it's pretty much covered in the the, the sleeve notes for the the, the for the Father's It's an album, but I mean, I liked the way that the two of us came together, and I think it was a jump off point for us both. I mean, I think from from Stephen going into procumentary and beyond, and me going into you know my stuff and beyond, it was. It was a great collaboration, and like I said, we both learned a lot, I think, from, from that collaboration. And I had a great time with him, and we still keep in touch. And I got a nice email from him the other day, just saying uh, that he liked, really liked the Veldschmerz track. Um, what would you do, do, do? Have I lost this? I seem to have a problem. I don't know. Oh, what's happened? I told you, me and tech. Is this coming back up? Spinning disk. Yeah, I'm back up. No feed. Uh no questions. Still, alive. still seeing... Am I still alive? Yeah. All the questions seem to have disappeared. They're on the little screen now. <laughs> Paul Nickerson, would you consider writing misplaced Sheldon too? no mike freeborn's still drowning yeah what would torch be up to today i don't know torch was like the old clutching the swords thing was um uh when i to put the torch character when i invented torch it was kind of this kind of strange third person thing and that um i uh i don't know i wanted to try and create this character it, did, it didn't really work there was an idea to try and write something that was more of a musical vibe and it, it kind of felt flat and you know it's kind of I, I kind of pointed it up at the last minute and I think you know Clutching at Straws was it was I think it was hiding a bit and that you know it was as you know from the lyrics you know, there was a lot of um very autobiographical stuff I mean I was talking a lot about where I was in my life at the time. I think, you know, I mean, to go back to the alcohol thing, I think at that point, I didn't, I wasn't an alcoholic, definitely not. I wasn't a drug addict, but I think my relationship with alcohol was not a good one. And um, I wasn't exactly alcohol dependent, but you know, I was very aware that it was becoming a problem. And I think what happened was that, you know, when I started to write these lyrics, I I think I I felt, i think there was a degree of guilt in that and you know for those of you out there who have studied psychology can read do that what do you want because i know and i'm not talking about it and um it was strange you know when i when i wrapped it up it was all kind of third person and then the same way i mean i've often said you know over the last year or so that there's a lot of similarity between uh between the Weltschmerz album and the clutch at straws album i think you know as i was writing Weltschmerz I mean, the, one of the first lyrics that I put together for Velschmerz was Little Man What Now, which is on the, the Parlor with Angels EP. And, um, you know, when I wrote that, I, and, and then I heard it back and heard me singing it, and it was kind of, you take a step and you go, whoa, there's a, there's a lot of me in there, you know? And in all the tracks in Velschmerz, there's a, a lot of me being, me, in very calm being put into it. And when I hear, when I hear them coming back at me, it's, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of autobiography within the veltschmerz lyrics, and uh, and I and I set out to write all them in third person as well, very much the same way as I kind of set out to hide stuff within Culture. But I wasn't hiding things with veltschmerz I wasn't going to hide anything. It's just something that I realised, like, later on that wow, you know, there's there's a lot of personal stuff in there, and uh, and you can glean from that you know what you want. But it's been, but I, I think it's been, been because of the, the catharsis that I kind of needed from 2016 on, which is another completely, um, another question entirely. But I've just got lots of little bubbles coming up here. Picture in picture. Oh, no, everybody's playing picture in picture. Mode. Da, da, da. Why are we doing this? Oh, no, the tech. Mm-hmm. Spinning disc, spinning disc. Oh, I've got to get the questions off here. Uh, Dave Bain, will you do this when you retire? Probably. Uh, for Joe Cain, Scotland. I'm not going there at the moment. Jeff Wales, will ever up with Chris Kimsey again? I don't think so. Not through anything other than I've kind of... Um, Chris was great. I mean, um, Chris dealt with... He's been in some very important uh, uh, parts of my career. There was, uh, you know, Chris and I became great friends on the Misplaced Childhood album, and he became a real mentor. And he was, uh, he was, a, 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 he was great for me at that time, which was a very difficult time for me personally, and we, we became very strong soulmates. And, you know, on on the Clutching album in particular, when things were becoming awkward within the band, um, he was somebody that, he was a bit of a guru to me in a way. And, and I spent a lot of time with Chris talking about my feelings and my problems, blah, blah, blah. And of course, then Chris came up to do the Internal Exile album, which was a very, very difficult album to make. Um, you know, we were actually sitting, I mean, where this is, round about me at the moment, this is the studio, and this is the recording studio where every album has been made since Internal Exile. And uh, it's now pretty much, oh, you know, over the years it's become, since I moved into it in 2001, you know, when it went, everything went off, oh, another thing. When everything went a bit crazy back in 2001, you know, I lost my house and I lost a lot of things and, you know, I was nearly, yeah, it was nearly Kaboom time. And, uh, and I moved into this place and it was, it was a box, it was a, it was a box, it was a studio. And over the years it's just been converted, the garden's been created outside and this entire environment has become a, a residential place. And, but it's a residential place that you, we still, I still have the capability to basically, there's still wires running all under the floors, there's still a control room at the moment. Where you know it's completely separated sonically from uh, every other part of the building, so we can go through there and make shitloads of noise and all the And that was where we we did all the Velschmerz album. Is it's all been uh, recorded in there, and um, it's um, you know, this was where Chris Kimsey came in nineteen ninety one when it when it first became a studio, and he was. He was the the the, the test pilot for the for the studio and it was a very testing experience. There was a lot of things. I mean, out of all the people in Marillion, I was the least likely to own a studio. And honestly, I I don't like tech. I don't really enjoy the the technical process of recording an album. I love spaces. And, you know, when I built this place, the idea was to create a space where I could record, where I could bring people in that could engineer, that could do all the bits and pieces. So when Chris Kimsey came in, to work on internal excel he was dealing with a lot of issues and it was a very fractious album not only because of the technology that he was coming to terms with and all the the, the new stuff that was getting bled in but on top of that you know i just left emi so you know my frame of mind uh in, a, in lots of ways was kind of all over the place it was kind of shattered which sounds like you know the internal excel album was an album where I was trying to find my direction after Vigil, it was my difficult second solo album. And it's, it's strange when you look at internal XL that there's a lot of tracks that are huge favorites with the fans. Shadowplay, da da da, we've been there. Just Good Friends, which is a track, which with, with Sam Brown is still, I, I look at it as being a single that sh- should have been a, a massive hit. And never happened. Um, you know, if you look at songs like Cradle, you know, fantastic songs. I mean, there's some great songs in it, but as an album, it didn't really come together because my head was kind of it represented where my head was at the time. I didn't know where it was, but Chris was, was fantastic. And you know, he was in the frame for coming up and working with me later on, but I mean, he's still a good friend. We're still in in good contact, but uh, but as far as, as working together, you know, Callum Malcolm has been my producer now for the last three albums. And I love what he does, and he's got, done an amazing job on the Welshman album. And um, and as I said, this is my last album anyway, so it's not even a question. So another question from you, Suzanne Bet? Susan Bet, do you think you could give him any concert? No, I can. We did. A lot of people say, well, why don't you do do a live stream and get the band in here? I can, because the band don't live here. Um, uh, Steve Andrews lives in Birmingham. Uh, Gavin Griffiths lives down in South Wales. Marcel Signor lives across in Amsterdam. Liam Holmes lives in the Northampton area, and I can't bring people together for obvious reasons, which is why we're here talking. And uh, it's it's just uh, you know I can't do it. I'm sorry. I, 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 if I think if we'd been in rehearsals, if if the band had been around, and you know. If it'd been a bit earlier, or whatever, then maybe the chance. But at the moment, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to stick with me on this stuff. Um, See a lot of Tessa Niles from me. Pavel Kostrewa. Hi, Tessa. Oh, God. Marillion New Union. Give me a break. Zoe Fillingham. Yep, it is. Well the Big Wedge 12-inch be in the Vigil set? I've got no idea. The, the visual set, with the, both, the, both the Vigil uh, remaster and the internal XL remaster, there's going to be more stuff on it than there was in the previous remasters. I think Vigil's got to capture a big keystone of my life. It's the, the, It's got to deal with coming out Marillion, it's got to do with the setup and a lot of things that happened at that time, and we got a lot of footage. I mean, luckily, um, uh, Hank Templeman, um, a friend of mine from Holland, he he managed to, to um, take a lot of my old tapes and turn them into and put them in the hard drive, which is Dave Barris, who's been who produced the directed the Velshmerets video. Has put together. We've already done a run of the, 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 the Vigil documentary. We might do another one, I don't know. But there's so much material in, in, in Vigil and internal, you know, that um, uh, well, I want to do something a little bit more with that. And the, the, but the, the problem with Vigil is, Vigil is the only solo album that I don't own the copyright of. Therefore, I have to get permission to, to put that album out, which is when people were asking when is it coming out I don't know because we're still tied up trying to get people to sign off on it right and until somebody signs off on it I cannot move right and you know the big wedge and all these songs the The copyright is owned by EMI stroke paraphones. so you know I'd like to see it coming out when it does come out we're only allowed to make so many for a certain period of the time and you know that that's just the way it is so um no, anyway Ah uh, James I've got the tapes Laughing out loud What tapes? Uh, Paul Wokey Have you written any songs For other artists? Well what with Arian On the Electric Castle thing But I mean uh, No We need your Autography soon <laughs> Lisa dronson Are you still writing The autobiography? I've not started yet I mean, there's loads of ideas, and funnily enough, it's like, if you're watching Peter, right, I was, I was actually contacted on, on Facebook. Facebooks can be the greatest and the worst. And um, I got a contact from a guy that I worked with in forestry, in Fokkerburs, way back in the, the kind of, about, around about sort of 78. And uh, as I said, I mean, there's whole areas of my life that... Um, that I, I want to write about because there's so many stories from from those periods of time people that have been out with me or sat around the table with me when the story box has been opened you know there's a lot of there's a lot of stories and it was funny that this guy got in touch came on facebook to, to mention something i'm i've I'm, I'm sent a friend thing out so because i need to talk with some people about all sorts of stuff it was um the autobiography, I mean, I, I can't... I, I need to sit down and, and write. I don't need to be, have intrusions. I don't want... I mean, I'm not... I mean, people talk about... I mean, you know, Jackson Brown wrote The Run on an Empty album basically on a tour. I don't know how he did that. Because when I'm on a tour, I'm either asleep or I'm preparing for a gig or I'm on stage or I'm coming down off a gig and I don't have the headspace and I don't, I, I don't have that creative space to really sit down and apply myself... And I think, you know, when, if I'm gonna be writing something, I need to get into the flow and I need to get into the threads of it, you know, to carry them on. Otherwise it becomes bits and pieces and chunks here, chunks there. And I still really need to work out how I'm gonna put this together because there are so many different eras that although they might not be as interesting to the music fans, hopefully they'll be interested in uh, interest in a literary sense, you know, maybe, I don't know. There's a Little Screen again. Checking out the questions. Hello from London Ontario, Canada, Jimmy. Hello, uh, Jade Elizabeth. Would you love to make music with the um, incredible Robert Plant? <coughs> I'm two singers. No, I think we kind of we do our own stuff. I, I do my own thing. I kind of I'm quite happy doing my own thing. I get asked a lot to to contribute to things and like apart from Ari and this, own, this and Tony Banks, you know, it's kind of. There's very few other people. I'm, I'm working with Stephen Molson, you know. But Robert I was... <laughs> a little story where I was reminded when I was watching the thing about the floods, uh, those floods which were horrific, and Monmouth came up. And I remember working when I was working with uh, uh, Marillion during the, the Fugazi period, right, and Mark Kelly and I... Somehow I don't know how we got it, but we got hold of one of them blow up canoes that you use for the beach, and we decided to go down the river. <laughs> it was our big adventure, two men in a boat, and we had this hot, stupid little kiddie inflatable canoe, and the two of us had got shorts and like you know wet tops, and we went all the way down to Monmouth, and we were like you know I, I think we were a little bit wasted, and um, we we came out. It was, it's a pub. <laughs> it's a pub. And we, we, we basically pulled this canoe, which by this point had been ripped to shreds on, on the, the, the shallows that we had to tug this canoe through. Right? And we, we parked up on the grass and went up to the the the, in the pub. Thought, I'm dying for a pint. Right, and We had money on us, right? A couple of notes in the pocket, soaking wet. And, uh, and we got a couple of pints and uh, somebody said this, said this, Robert Pratt would like to say hello. And I'm going, what? And I, I hadn't really kind of sunk in. And he was through the other part of the pub and went through and covered in shit, right? It's with where the in hand, like, you know. And it was like, this fish, this is Robert Plant, Robert Plant, this is fish. It was the first I ever met him. It was like, I was like, ah, ah. <laughs> Great. Went where the canoe was left outside the pub and we got a taxi home. Uh, but that was the first time I ever met Robert Plant. And uh, he forgot about it the next time I met him. But that's another thing. Anyway, up to the small speed again to take the questions. Uh, would you or have you ever played the Tony Banks songs live? No. Uh, it's funny, I listened to Another Murder of a Day, which was uh I really liked the lyric of that, and you, you probably, for those of you who are more noticeable than Scoot, you've probably seen some of the lyrics kind of pop up in other songs. Um I I really liked that song, and uh it was, when Tony, I mean, Tony had basically put most of the music together for that. And I think he said at the time, there's only one person that he knew could actually write a lyric for something that was that long, because I think it was about eight minutes or something. And I was presented with this thing, and um, and then I wrote Another Mother of a Day. Another Mother of a Day is about somebody that's waiting, It's basically a heroin addict waiting on, on the fix, right? And so I wrote this whole thing, and Tony said after it, he said, I didn't realise, I didn't... Realize it was, I didn't I didn't realise it was actually about about drugs. As if I had known that and I might have I might have said something, you know. But yeah, but I love that song. It meanders a wee bit, you know. And you know, I think if, if I had it myself, if I if I'd been dealing with myself, it would have been different. But what Tony and I did, it was I was really pleased with, really liked it. You know? And but and Shortcut to somewhere, that was another one. When I was given the, the music shortcut to somewhere and I was told it's about bikes, and I immediately assumed it's about more bikes. <laughs> Didn't realise it was push bikes, and it was about a courier service. But I mean, uh, but that song—I mean—that was ridiculously high, ridiculously high. And it, it was so high that I remember seeing uh, Phil Collins singing at Madison Square Gardens as part of—I uh, think it was the—it was the, the Atlantic Anniversary uh, uh, Affair at Madison. And you know, he was singing it, and he was pushing it. And that's it when I was going—it wasn't just me then. <laughs> so here we go. Are you still in contact with the really members you have worked with? Yes. Ian and I talk about hospital appointments very regularly. Uh, Greets from Krakow. Thank you. Uh, what makes you happiest? Angriest. Um, I think happiest being at home on a quiet day when the phone's aren't ringing and my wife and I are out in the garden and we're going to have a family meal together and um, and when we've got the family around us you know I think when we've got our respective daughters and, and, and sons and things and you know having my mum here as well like you're having a family day and being in the garden and and just you know when it's sunny and you know that's when you know and even when there's music playing out the door when we've got the, the big kefs rolling out the door and we hear the music that's a great day what makes me angriest um apart from uh, a lot of current stuff happening on in, in the world um i hate greed and i hate um uh i hate I, oh, Selfishness. I find I find that hard to deal with and I hate greed and I hate people who are inconsiderate and rude, you know. Um, I mean I'm sometimes guilty of that myself. We never know again on Facebook, oh I met you and something you were right. Yeah, but I mean yeah, those kind of things. That and tech. And then hanging on phone lines and talking to banks. Banks make me angry, you know. But anyway that ties in with the greed thing. Uh, do I keep in touch with John Wesley? Not as much as I want to. I miss John. John's another one I'm a really, it's a soulmate that I miss hugely. And I love John's company. I love John's guitar playing and he's a beautiful guy. And um, he's across from Florida and I hope he's okay. Uh, think about him a lot. And um, we had some great times together. And it's like, yeah. If you listen, John, get in touch. In your quick talk, you should consider us poor foreigners. Oh God! Sorry, I have to talk slower. I'm doing the Scottish bit. It's just, um, yeah, I talked about subtitles. Sorry. (laughs) Key things from Bulgaria. Thank you, Sebastian. What was your favourite track on the script for Justice Tear album? Oh, no, there's a thing. Um, it's been interesting dealing with the script album. Um, it's a bit like finding your, kinda, your high school books in the attic and bringing them out and going, wow, some of that's quite good. Um, i love the script album because of what it meant in the scheme of things you know it was our first album it was the big thing that um it, it was the big jump for us um favorite song i mean i, I love script i mean you know, when i heard avril mackintosh and andy Bradfield did a brilliant job on on the on the um, basically the mixing the complete remix of the album and the, the five to one which is fantastic and I'm r i am really like the, the the deluxe version works really well. I love the documentary, that was fun to me, but that's another thing. <laughs> um favourite song though. I mean, we, we played He Knows You Know in Aberdeen and it was nice to get that out and, and rock it up a bit. Uh you know, I I, I like the I love the lyric on it. I think the lyric to He Knows You know is still very relevant. Um there's a lot of things in the, in the songs that are the same way as every time you hear an album that you've done before and you kind of go uh you know I would that would have changed that I mean there's a lot of things in script but script is for its place in in it all and in, in, in my history and the, the grand scheme of music you know it, it it sits it's a nice little diamond in the rough sort of vibe, you know flawed in a way but it was um but you know as you know, yeah, I really like that. And and Chelsea Monday, I always... I mean, I love the lyric for Chelsea Monday, but sometimes when you hear the song, of of yeah, Anyway, but it's good. I mean, I, I love... The remaster's great. And I think it's a great... I'm, I'm glad it was redone, and I, I'm glad... What I'm really happy. I love what Avril and Andy have done, done with it all and, and beefed it up. But, you know, as I said, one of the things were a lot of them, when you introduce modern technology into an old album, then it often, it can throw spotlights on the areas where it shows up things for, um, it sometimes can show out the flaws a lot, which was interesting, script. but I love it as an album, it's, it's you know, maybe it's like the same as all my soul albums, you know, there's always things where you go, mm, maybe we should have done that, but, It's a very naïve album, but I like it because it is naïve, because that's what we were at the time. Favourite Edinburgh pub? Oh, don't know. I don't really have one. Uh, Thomas Hoss, Greens from Germany, thank you. Greens from New Hampshire, Ted Ted Contos. Uh, Anything new grown in the garden? the big thing at the moment, I've got two big propagators. But as I said, the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden, that's where I'll be putting up videos in, in, in the coming weeks. But, I mean, uh, the big thing is, that the greenhouse at the moment, I've got a big cloche that's hanging over the salad and spinach because, again, I go back to the situation we were in. Like My daughter always used to take the piss out of me because... Sorry, I'm trying to slow down. My daughter always used to take the piss out of me because, you're a prepper, Dad. You're just a prepper, right? And... um. And I'd said to her a couple of years back, I said, you need to learn how to grow things. I said, it's important. I said, it's food. You need to learn how to grow your own food. And I kind of adopted this. It was really in around right about 2007, eight, that I kind of really started getting into it. And I love growing my own food. And at the moment, the, the big thing is, I've got a big cloche. A cloche, which is French for bell. is a big polythene shape. And it's sitting over a big row of spinach big row of rocket big row of radishes row of mixed salad leaves and in two weeks time three weeks time that's what we're going to be in. and in the greenhouse i advanced even further and i'm, I'm growing stuff under led lights green stuff not anything uh, naughty and it was um and i'm growing lettuce and stuff out there and they've got two big propagators that are going to get fired up tomorrow which basically, the create temperatures. I mean, I'm sp- the, my electricity bill is going to be... I don't even want to see the electricity bill when it comes in. But, I mean, the greenhouse is, is lined with uh, insulation, so it does retain the heat. But, I mean, in the next week, two weeks, three weeks, the idea is to get all the tomatoes, the chilies, and a load of other stuff up and running in, in that greenhouse. And, like I said, it's growing more on food. And, you know, it's... it's uh, there's something... Beautifully spiritual about growing your own food and eating it and going out at night and picking something from the garden and putting it on a plate It's fantastic, but I mean, uh, but as I said, Tomaz and Chili's number one at the moment Da da da, back to the thing Got a phone Rob Be fun, Rob. My technical advisor. Finding the technical advisor, Rob's here. Hello, Rob. 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 Hello, Rob. Is it still coming through? Okay. Yeah, because I'm reading. I've got to read all the questions off the little iPhone. It doesn't come through in my big screen on the laptop. Technical advisor. you happy with it. you happy. Good. 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 Oh, my good girl. Okay. Right. I'll, I'll go back. I'll go back to reading off the big screen again. Okay. So okay. I'll give it another twenty minutes. Okay. Okay. Put T on. Okay. Bye. Drop. <laughs> Angela oh yes it's okay. Rob told me it's okay. We'll get we'll get better at it, we'll get really good at this in the coming weeks. A follow-up to Yin Yang would be awesome with more re-recordings. No. I don't I don't want to go back The the Yin Yang thing was was um at the time I needed a best of album and there was a, a lot of stuff you read about in the autobiography when it comes out that I I'm not really comfortable about talking too much about here. But um well, Yin Yang. It was kind of I had the Dick Brothers record label, which you know eventually sank in a very, very deep ocean. Um, uh, and Yin Yang was kind of really trying to, to to break out, and that was when I re-recorded some of the Marillion stuff and re-recorded some of the um, some of the solo stuff. Some of it had to do with, with contractual issues. Some of it had to do with just well. You know, I couldn't get licenses, and da-da-da, and it was the independent label, and I was trying to break out. I was trying to break out and and, and charge off and hopefully carry the field, and I didn't. I got massacred. Um, and it was a great collection for its time, and there's some, you know, obviously on the the visual remasters and Internal Excel, some of those yin-yang material that'll pop up there. But, I mean, I don't really want to go back and, and re-record. You know, I mean if if there's other versions that get done you know it's like for example the Fishheads club acoustic tour i mean uh you know the Fishheads tour was um it enabled me to re-examine the songs and reinterpret them and that was really cool and i think you know live recordings are fine but to go back into the studio i'm not attracted by that at all you know not attracted by that at all so, uh, when we release an autobiography, done that one. Loved hearing Grendel at the age of 10. What got me into prog rock? Good on you. Joe Wallace, Green's Tea. <laughs> Somebody's Got to Go. Remember Near Fest, The Two Crazy Mexicans? <laughs> yeah. Hello from Venezuela, Juan Carlos What was the hardest lesson to learn with regards to the music industry? And I miss your name, sorry. It's just scrolling up really fast. Um, uh the hardest thing whew, um the hardest thing about the music industry you're not really that important as uh you know you i think you know when i left e m i that was a kind of that was a big lesson for me you know when you know, you went from being you're a know, kind of singer in the Golden Band, and I think it was... I'll say it's, it's like when you're you, you standing on a rock in a spotlight and then somebody knocks you off the rock, and then you lift up the rock to to try to, to move it, and then you find out what's underneath it. and I learned a lot about the business. I was very naive. I think, you know, Marillion as a whole, we were very naive, as most musicians are, but, I mean, it's changed now. I mean, you know, you know. I think there's so many young musicians now—they know they understand what brand names are. They understand their tech. You know, they understand a lot more about promotion and things. And it's become a very different industry to the one that I joined in in, in nineteen eighty-two. I mean, or cassettes for God's sake, you know. And um, and I, yeah, I mean, I, I think. I've, I've, I'm I'm am continually learning lessons within the stream I mean, James Cassidy who's been an immense help to me regarding all the digital releases and things. You know, I mean, you know, he said to me, I said, well, how do you keep up with this?" And he said, "I don't." He said, "I'm just every day. It's like I'm struggling to keep up and keep up and keep up because it's it's continually evolving, and I think that's what's one of the hard things in and being a musician. You know, you can either." You can either continue to try and chase the hits, or you can kind of go, this is what I do, and I'm happy doing it. And that's kind of where I'm at. And uh, if I was more commercially minded, then you would have probably seen a piece of plastic coming out every two years. Whether it was a decent piece of plastic or not, I don't know. But, uh, you know, for Weltschmerz, you know, it's been, how many years is it, seven years? I I mean, I can't even remember when Feast of Consequences came out. But, you know, I, I didn't f- feel the pressure to release an album because it's my it's my record company. It's the Chocolate Frog record company. I do what I want. And when we went into it, I didn't feel that pressure. That I had to release something. I had to fill up the war chest or, you know, it, you know. I didn't look at my bank again and go, I need to put an album out. It was like, let's put the album out when the album is ready, when I feel it's, it's right. And it's kind of, I, I don't... I'm no, I don't feel part of the music business in in some way. I, you know, when I, when I, yeah, you know, I, I couldn't tell you what's the number one album at the moment. I couldn't tell you what's top of the charts. I've got no idea. Half of the people that you see, you know, if, you, if by chance I have to put, catch something on the radio or sometimes when you see something on TV, like blah blah blah, this rap artist, whatever. I've got no idea who they are. Right, and it doesn't bother me. I don't feel. Um, I think back in the '90s, I, I, I kind of was struggling to keep up with the race and then i just realized that i don't really have to be you know and um but then again I, I don't have an expensive lifestyle here It's uh, it's 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 different you know i just you know the biggest purchase i've made for ages i mean apart from session fees apart from manufacturing fees apart from stuff that i've actually got to do with the velvishments album, won't be a video or whatever you know you, you know my biggest purchases are probably out in the garden you know and um and that, that's kind of where i'm at I, i'm kind of dislocated I, I there's one thing that one thing i said is like when when you're kind of when we started it's like you know you're in the big castle and you're in this big gorman gas type castle and you want to play the main floor you want to be on the main floor playing to the king right and everybody wants to play the main floor right and there's only so many acts get up to the main floor. Right? But you're also told that outside the castle, there'd be monsters and down in the villages and down in the forest, there's monsters, right? So you have got to stay in the castle. And I believed that for a long, long time. And then I think way back in the early nineties, I kind of walked out of the castle and then eventually ended up down in the forest and eventually ended up down in a village. And you know, it's when you turn around and you look at the castle and you realise that the castle was just falling apart, right? And then you realise that the forest is actually a nice place to be, and those villagers that you were told weren't particularly great people to be, but there's no point in messing with those people. Then you discover that you know they're really appreciative of what you play, and they're quite into it. And you don't have the lifestyle of being in the castle, but you've got a perfectly good lifestyle in the village in the forest, and that's where I'm, and I'm really quite happy to be here. It's it's great. I mean. You know, in some ways, you know, you you want to have success for an album, and yeah, I want Velchmans to be a successful album, but at the same time, there is that huge worry that you know, if Velchmans becomes too big, or if it becomes a massive hit, then there's suddenly there's an entire world going to come at me that I don't, you know, it's it's a dilemma, you know, it's yin yang, yin yang, you know, and um, it's you know, I, I think I'm always trying to find a balance of it yes it's important for me to sell music because it's still the only way i earn a living until someday i come up with a strain of lettuce that everybody wants but i mean um at the moment music is where i make a living i respect it Uh, i'm humbled by you know people and the way it touches people and that's important to me you know and and, you know to get something back to say i've touched you and you've touched my life or you helped change it that means a lot to me you know and um but I don't count the gold albums on the wall. I mean, I've I've never had a disc, a, a disc up there since the vigil days, and I don't really want them, you know? But anyway, that's a bye the bye Yeah, I'm quite happy when I'm, I take a question of this thing. Could you arrange to do another live session like this one? I missed it, went up too fast. Questions afterwards? Uh I remember back in 1989 talking about Ghost Driver, the concept album he talked about with Marillion. Yeah, Ghost Driver, Geisterfahrer. Yeah, that was an idea, that was supposed to be, it was an idea for the follow-up to Clutching at Straws, which was kind of put down. I thought it was an interesting idea, it was to do like an album, which was like, it was, Geisterfahrer is somebody in, in Germany who basically drives the wrong way up an autobahn and basically trying to commit suicide, and it was based around a story, and it was like it was the guy in the car, and I saw it was a, a theater production where there was like the wheel of the car was in the center of the stage, and it was the story of his life, and the idea was to have an entire album that was all cover version songs, of the songs that he was listening to on the radio. But I mean, it all fell apart. It's something you know. Maybe sometime in the future, I might kind of bring up. But I mean, uh, I thought it was interesting. I nearly revisited it revisited that that idea back in in the mid 90s but again i kind of went up there and i went nah it's too complicated you know um do another session where we could submit questions in advance yeah we could do yeah we can do that uh it'll be next friday 6 p.m i think if the 6 p.m slot works i think you know i'm sure you'll let me know because obviously this is a very one-sided kind of conversation uh How Cool Was Raw Meat, Matt Dawes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Raw Meat was a song I was I was really proud of. I always wanted to write one of those again, Jackson Brown. I mean uh that, that the um The Loadout. Is it the loadout? And I loved writing a song about being a musician and being on the road and I, that song was written, it was dedicated to my old uh um two manager, production manager Andy Field. It was just about us, it was just how I felt. And it was really because, you know, my um, my great grandfathers were uh, in the music hall and raw meat was a term that they used for all the acts that came on in, in the kind of mid to late afternoon that nobody was really coming to see. And it was basically all the guys that were in the theater were the people that were drinking and just hiding away from the elements. And it was uh, raw meat for the balcony. That was what the acts were called. And that was what this, how the song came about. What flavour is you vaping? Uh, blueberry. <laughs> Strong. Uh, Rose lewis who who's your favourite artist to work with? I don't know. I've, I'm lucky in, in that, you know, apart from one or two individuals, you know, I've stayed friends with, um, with nearly everybody I've worked with, and I've had some great times with people. and. Um, it's strange sometimes when you are when you're a musician because it's like you know you meet people and you have a very intense experience and then you might not see them for five five years ten years sometimes, right? So it's, it's you know it's always it's collisions always collisions always collisions, and I'm lucky I've had some really brilliant collisions with people over the over the years. What book am I reading at the moment? Uh, I'm reading a book called Travels in the Third Reich. And it's a book about uh a lot of people who'd um been to Germany in that period after the First World War up until about nineteen thirty-eight. And it's a lot of memoirs and, and it's a very interesting book, A, because I've always been interested in history. And uh and but this these are like journals and it's interesting to see how the populism um came to be. And how people walked away and disregarded it. And it's, it's quite a sinister book. And you can obviously see uh, various parallels were kind of what's happening in today's modern world. And, you know, um, it's uh, I'm slowly getting through it. Uh, but I've got a lot of books for my Christmas that I'm still trying to wade through, including Steinbeck's. I got, re- I got really back into reading John Steinbeck again. And I've been... Dabbling in some of the more obscure stuff that he did, the things that aren't his kind of main, you know, uh, his his main sources. But I, but I love his writing. I love his descriptive writing. Best worst part about aging, I think, that was David Bain. Um, things breaking. And going wrong, and recovery. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I think I noticed that, and I think from about 2016, 2016, when my father died, it was like I had that mortality check, and uh, and I, but things were breaking at that point. My my back because of stuff that I didn't listen to when I was in forestry, like bend your legs. You know, you regret it later. Various back injuries, and then I had a tendon thing, and you know I'm I'm here at the moment, and I've got a, I've got a torn tendon in my left shoulder, which is very painful, and through in some ways when I move my arm, I find it difficult to sleep at the moment because when I sleep on it, it's kind of I have bad sleep, and I can't do anything with this tendon because. I was supposed to be getting a, an ultrasound to determine just how badly the tear was and at some point I was going to, I'm I'm going to have to after an operation because I know it's exactly the same as this shoulder and this shoulder had two really bad tears in it and that was a serious operation and I trying to find the time to do these things but obviously with the entire Covid thing there are far more important things happening in hospitals than dealing with a 62 year old singer with a torn tendon in his shoulder so, I live with it, look after it. But old age losing my hearing or is you know, of I say lose my hearing. Not dead yet. Um hearing loss gets to me my eyesight really pisses me off. Losing that well, I say it really pisses me off, I accept it. But uh, but I think it's just things breaking. It's just being unable to do do certain things and it's uh but I just accept it, you know. I'm sixty-two years old. You know, I'm I'm doing fine. I'm afflicted afflicted by baldness, and uh, and that's that's it. I mean, I'd like I said, I mean, the sepsis thing last year was the two doses of sepsis. They were that was that was very freaky. But I mean, you know, that had nothing to do with old age. That could happen to anybody, and uh, that was a very, they were two very very scary moments. And again, that's something to talk about another time. But, um, where is Planet Rock not playing Kaylee? <laughs> you know what? It's interesting. <coughs> that in countries like Poland, where my songs from all the albums are played, you know, regularly, not just Kaylee, right? But, I mean, th- this is the problem in, in this country. I mean, in the, in the UK in particular, right? It's like, you know, I have go on and, and I'm, I'm still going on to do interviews with local radio stations and they still play, oh, well, it's Kaylee. It's like, well, if they'd actually played the songs when they came out after it, you know, then the people would become more aware. I think losing some of the rock stations, I mean, Planet Rock, Total Rock, and uh, Absolute Rock, etc., there's, there's great online stations, digital stations. Uh, but I mean, uh, you know, Kaylee is Kaylee. It's great. You know, I got a royalty check through. Thank you, Kaylee, you know. Well, thank you, Kaylee. it was um, but I mean, it would be nice if some of other material was played. But then again, I accept it, you know. And I know the songs are great, you know. I'm really pleased with them. I'm proud of them, you know. And when people discover them, which is one of the reasons why I went on to, I took the digital side and went on. I uh, you know I went I went to the dark side of digital and, and took Spotify and everything. On because it was pointed out to me that people might not buy you music, but they, can, they might come across it and hear it and blah, 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 might buy an album and, you know, that's what you hope. It was interesting that even on the Facebook page when I did a, I, I did a, a video blog and um, on the video blog, I happened to say, you know, it's like, the, you know, on Saturday, Saturday night, the, the clocks didn't move forwards, the clock moved sideways and somebody went, what a great title for a song. Wow, clock moved sideways. I did it already, it's on Fellini days, right? So it goes to show you that some people, even now, they've not discovered the, the, the remasters in the back catalogue and things. So but they will, they will, you know. Yeah, Planet Rock is, is playing Velschmerz. they have been doing great with the Velschmerz track. And I just I'd like to see Velschmerz build out a little bit more. I think it's it's relevant, you know, and it's yeah, you know, it's a relevant track. I think it's a song for its time, you know. But so be it. Has the digital experiment been really successful? They said also, yeah, I think it has. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting that on, on Spotify, on the fish thing, there are 50,000 people that subscribe to the, the fish Spotify list. There are basically 50,000 people that have said, you know, we want to hear the, the new fish tracks. If 50,000 people bought my album, right? Or bought an album, right? He, you know, <laughs> I don't have 50,000 people buying an album so I mean again it's something you accept you know but as I said it'd be, it'd be good if, if people rather than just you know I mean you know we're spending a fortune on making this Welchmitz album and you know you're aware that a lot of people are only going to hear this on mp3s m you know an mp3 file right and you you're you creating this massive sound and you're creating you know a lo- you spend a lot of money on recording, spend a lot of time, a lot of energy on the recording, bringing musicians in, and the fact that some people listen to an iPhone is kind of... They can... <laughs> yeah. Mark Williams always loved watching acting roles, any potential for developing, revisiting. Um, I'd love to do more acting, but I mean... I think that the problem with movies is, as my my dear friend Dave Barris will tell you, you know, the problem with movies is it's kind of gone the same way as as the music business, and as far as um, it's very difficult to get, you know, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a director, you know, to get your movie in a theater is really difficult. You know, I mean, everybody wants X Men, Avengers, Seventeen, you know, blah blah blah, you know, Paddington Bear, Fifteen, you know. And they're taken up by these these massive films. I mean, the the thing that I love, and I mean, I I love Netflix, and I love I watch a lot of series on Netflix. And you know, I've, I, as an actor, I mean, in my days as an action person have long long gone. My mean, just wouldn't stand up to it nowadays. And um. You know, I think, you know, playing a character role, yeah, it'd be, it would be interesting. if somebody was to ask me to play it, if it was an independent, yeah. I mean, but I, I realised a long time ago that I wasn't going to be able to keep a roof over my head as an actor. And I feel, I really feel for a lot of people that are working out there as actors at the moment. Because, you know, there, there just isn't the money to pay them. I mean, it's it's kind of, everybody's wanting you to do stuff for free all the time. It's like, you know, my daughter was a model. And, you know, I saw that side of the industry as well. And... You know people aren't willing to pay because it's like and um but netflix you know offers a lot more chances i think um but i mean i, I don't see my, my future as being an actor i'm thinking of, you know acting was always kind of something that it was a hobby that i really liked doing you know that i got a great deal of satisfaction for but screenplay writing now there's a thing you know i mean i'm, I'm fascinated by Screenplays and stories and all the rest of it, and I think that's a natural kind of route for me to follow, um you know after I've kind of walked away from from the albums, you know, but you know, let's see what happens, you know let's just see what happens uh Julian Newton never thought I'd write music for a movie, not really. I do that. Steve Anson does that, and he does that to my lyrics. Uh, Julie Mary what do you watch Netflix I watched um, uh, well it's between Netflix and Prime I always get mixed up We kind of, my wife and I blip about between the two I watched The Platform the other night which is a fantastic film a Spanish film uh, worth checking out I won't see any more because it takes <laughs> brilliant film the series Brain Dead uh, which I just caught by accident and that's a a, a comedy a dark comedy which is kind of based in washington that's worth having to check that one out and the one we're watching at the moment is it's a ben kingsley series um something limited can't remember i don't remember all that stuff but yeah breaking bad was the one that got me really into it though uh the platform is mental shoot murdoch yeah it is are you still in touch with frank or Stephen bond no not through choice um uh I saw Frank briefly at a funeral about uh a year ago and we exchanged polite greetings. Um, uh I miss Frank. You know, Frank I still consider a really good friend, but Frank is a uh, um Frank is Frank, you know. And I was talking with Foz Patterson the other day and Foz was a really good friend of Frank's and you know we both spent a long time in the road in the fishes too and Foz hasn't spoken to Frank for, for a year and a half or so you know and I've tried to contact him and you know it's just one thing so Frank's chosen to basically not be in contact and I just respect that it's one of those things it's a shame but you know great guitarist love the guy but uh I think he was he left before free the consequences and you know he had some issues that I couldn't really address it was up to him to address them and he decided to leave the band and i accepted it you know i tried to keep him in the band and but he made his mind up and when frank makes his mind up frank makes his mind up and that is it and you know i just leave it at that i don't know harbor any bad feelings towards frank at all um, it's Frank's thing, you know. That's it. Shame, damn shame. Yeah, Phil Wood. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, it would have been nice to have Frank. Frank would have been nice to have had Frank, Frank on nice the Velchman's album. But like I said, I mean. You know, even the last time we met briefly, it was just, you know, it wasn't, (laughs) that ain't going to happen, you know. How will Brexit interfere with touring the EU next year? I've got no idea. I mean, I was really lucky because I was anticipating that, uh, um, This year would have been a difficult year, and I shifted all my touring from April, May to October, November. And the way that the world has revolved and spun darkly, you know, if I'd had that April, May tour in place in April, May as I'd originally intended at this moment in time. I would have been in serious trouble, serious trouble. Um, as such, I have it sitting there in October, November, and if all goes well, and we managed to get through this very dark period, um, then hopefully, you know, gigs will be coming back on the skyline and around that time. If not, it will be cancelled and moved again. And nobody can predict what's going to happen. Nobody. But at the moment, it's sitting there in October, November, and, you know, let's just hope it occurs. The following year, regarding what happens when... I mean, in all honesty, this is the wrong time to be just talking about Britain, EU, Brexit stuff. There's far more important things out there to deal with than than this. I mean... um, I think as a planet we're dealing with something that is is way more important it's the biggest thing we've ever dealt with i mean who out there ever thought that you know we'd find ourselves in the middle of a bad 1970s science fiction film right it's uh it's horrific and you know sometimes when you you, know, you do switch on the news it's you just go is, is this a reality and it is and which is why i'm sitting here in a, in a room in harrington in scotland talking to you out there in the world and i think when it comes to this i think we should shut it down now um i'm going to be back next friday this was the first one uh we'll have a look and see how it all went and how things kind of get you gauge your responses um this thing should be on archive like I said, I mean this is all brand new to me. So this should all be on archive on Facebook so you can access this. Uh I've got a camera sitting there that's um filming me. So we've got it on a on a, a card here and probably be able to, you know, put that up on YouTube or whatever. So this was the first one, it was long, that's what that's an hour and forty minutes. Um so it was good. Um it's strange times, it's weird times, um, don't want say, you know, just take care, you know, abide by the rules and, you know, you know, when they're telling you to keep your distance and, you know, when they're telling you to wash your hands, it's not done for fun, you know, this. you know, I really feel for a lot of the families that are dealing with a lot of bereavement out there and, um, you know this world has gone through a really tough time um let's just all stick together and think about your fellow human being right and be less selfish and be given and be caring and look after each other okay and uh, with that i'll shut it down okay take care and stay alive